RadioInfluence.com. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Dark Delight Podcast with your old pal, Michael Pelka, and your old pal, Beans. <laughs> You're not so old. I am. Not even close, sister. You're not even close. How old are you? I'm not telling you. Oh, come on. Really? 60-something. Okay. So you're not that much older than I am. Oh, I'm a lot older How than old you. am I? You're 40. I'm 41, and I'll be 42 in July. Well, there you go. That's not that much older. I could have had kids that are, uh, well, never mind. <laughs> never mind. Just keep... Well, maybe you're like my parents' age, actually, now that I'm thinking See? about it. Because people had kids much younger that, back then. Yes, they did. So, uh, theoretically, if you do the math, I am probably close to your parents' age. Yeah. All right. Well, still not that much older than me. No. Uh, it, it would be, if this were Hollywood, um, this would be an age-appropriate relationship for a man, but not for a woman. Because people would say, she's dating that older man. He might be, it might be a gold digger situation. And then if it's a guy, it's like, hey, look what he got. Yeah, well, I mean, they're happy about that most times, I think. They are. Uh, can, can we, uh, I know you have a lot to get to on Ukraine, but just will you put this on your on your menu? We have to get to the... The amazing hypocrisy, I almost said hypocrisy because that's one of my portmanteaus, just the amazing hypocrisy of Warner Brothers and the new Fantastic Beasts film. Sure. I have no idea what you're talking about, so you'll be able to teach me. And um, we have wonderful clips from Ted Cruz and an idiot and Ben Shapiro and an idiot. I'm not the... Hmm, Go ahead. Come on. Bring it on. I'm not the biggest Ben Shapiro fan. Well, I understand that. And, at all. And he talks at such a ridiculous rate. I have to always look down and go, is that double speed? Well, I can listen to Ben Shapiro on 4X. I mean, on 2X, and it's like it's on 4X. Well, that's what it feels like. You but... know, the problem for me is that he's very young, and he acts like he has three or four decades or five decades worth of adult knowledge under his belt. Well, he's not a dummy. No, he's not a dummy, but he is in a lot of ways. I mean, there's a lot of positions he takes that are very, like, quote, mainstream, and he'll take, like, the 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 approved tack until it's, like, proven by those of us out here doing the grunt work that, that what he's saying is actually BS, and then he'll take the other tack and pretend as though he never did it the first time in the other way. I don't well, like see that. If you change your position based on an influx of information, I'm okay with that as long as you admit, hey, yep. until I learned this, I was over here. But when I when they told me this, I'm like, there's no way I'm ever going to do that again. Yeah, no, that doesn't that doesn't happen. That's the thing. See that that's where I would have an issue as well. But I tend to agree with most of his positions. And since he's out educating young people who have already been indoctrinated for a couple of decades, uh, I'm going to give him some room on things. But I guess I everyone has to start somewhere. Yeah, they they do. They do. Um, we had this. I had this conversation yesterday, actually, because. 
there's a lot of crazy information that's always floating around out there on the interwebs. And um, I have said this from the very beginning, like when you like, let's say some of these medical doctors who have risen to prominence because they've been vocal about the truth of COVID-19, right? McCullough, not McCullough specifically, but some of the guys in that sort of cadre of people. And so now they've got a very, very influential public profile. It could be in any industry, not necessarily. In other words, what I'm saying is not attributable to these guys. We'll put it that way. I'm just making an example. I was blessed to have been put in a Google Groups um, discussion group of a bunch of medical professionals at a very high caliber by Dr. McCullough back when I got to know him early on. And reading through these groups, these group posts as time has gone on has been enlightening for me because these people have gone their entire life basically entrenched in an establishment way of thinking, um, medical establishment, right? And then they start to realize because they're telling the truth about something and they're being relentlessly attacked, they start to question everything. Because if this, if this wasn't true, and if what I thought about my own industry wasn't true, then looking around, what the hell else have they lied to me about? So you go through this stage when you first realize this, where anything is possible, anything, because everything you knew was false. Does this make sense? Sure, Toast, and I'm with you on this. And, and I think all of us at different times, and sometimes many times in our lives, have these uh, epiphanies, if you will. Yeah, well, the problem is usually when people have these epiphanies, like I had this epiphany back in 2000, 2001, okay, for the first time. Usually they don't have a voice that reaches tens of millions of people who are then joining them in the process. So like I would come across certain theories and things and documentaries and things that I thought at the time were absolutely true. But after further inspection and, you know, a little bit of time in research land and spending time kind of ferreting out what's real and what's not real and who's, you know, grifting, as the Dems would say, and who's not grifting, you come to settle that a lot of that stuff is not true. The problem is when you're watching someone go through this awakening in front of your eyes in real time and they're screaming to their tens of millions of people this is what's going on but it's actually a a crazy wacky conspiracy theory that they just can't tell isn't real because they're still so early on in it it's a problem would you agree (laughs) oh yeah but that's why that is a one of the one of the negatives of social media and the power of the internet and b it's also one of those things that we all have to be relentlessly attached to trying to take the air out of their balloon, if you will. Well, we have to just at least, you know, offer up a counter, um, uh, be able to offer a counter opinion or an account with with facts, obviously, or a counterfactual argument to all of it or point out reasons why it probably likely isn't true or, you know, something and not be attacked relentlessly because people are like, well, we trust this person. Look at the other things they've done. Well, they might not realize what they're doing. And now you you trust this person because you've placed your trust in a person and you're now down some rabbit hole. And it's not only that, it's that, that sort of an operation is used to taint really good information. Let's talk about the laptop, for example. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my God, that's a perfect example. And yeah. we don't ever know if if we will get the full accounting from the rest of the media on it. 
And, and, you know, there's people saying, well, there's 450, you know, people are saying there's 450 gig of deleted data. And then the computer repair shop guy comes out and says, no, that's absolutely impossible. So then what are, what is this person looking at? And have they now tainted the entire thing? Like it gets very hairy when you give a, you give, um, unblind trust to any person who is saying something to you without being able to prove it. Yeah, we have to go back to the old adage. I think it was Reagan, trust but verify. Yes. And this is vital. And this this subject of the of the Hunter Biden hard drives, this 450 gigabyte cache of data that we are allegedly going to be getting within weeks. Uh, why can't we have it now? I, I'm just I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I really uh, am. You know what it reminds me of? And I know this is going to make you angry or it may may upset you a little bit it reminds me of the constant refrain of we have the kraken and we're going to release it no no it doesn't bother me at all actually no because i there was so much during that period that was handled incorrectly so i don't i don't um i don't take offense to it at all okay but that's what it reminds me of and then eventually a great number of us lost faith that there was any Kraken, even though we now know there are certain pockets of Kraken. <laughs> There's a lot of Kraken to go around. It just was yeah. never compiled in, in right. a way that people could understand. It was buried Kraken. So uh, that's that's a different subject for a different day. The Kraken uh, but, was released, by the way, several times. Just saying. Not fully, the, but but it was also clouded. And of course. Occluded of- and, and avoided, just like Hunter's laptop. But... So I want the Hunter laptop data to be completely released and let's stop saying, oh, it's going to come out. You're going to see it. Shut up and let it out. I don't. And then, you know, how are you proving that now that you've had this for all this time? I mean, great. You're, you're, you know, am I, why, why am I supposed to trust you? Why? Like what, what, because you've given this to other media outlets, because you've given interview. I don't understand it. Like. I don't know. That's a very good question. Um, so, so you know, Joe Pags was asking me to talk about the laptop, and and I said I'm not, I'm not, I'm not ready to do that. I I don't even know, you know, I don't even know um, where we because he was talking about Jack Maxey and the fact that he ran off to Switzerland. You know, if you, I have no, I don't care. I don't, I don't put my faith in people. We'll just put it that way. For the most part, there are very few people that I will put my faith in. And the only time I will is when I have seen them very closely up front in person, up close and personal and how they handle themselves and what their integrity level is. Well, that's all part of building a a reputational score on somebody that we all do. And there are those who you talked about earlier who will immediately confer the highest status to someone just because of one area. Yeah. Yeah. you, You need a broader spectrum. Yeah. Not only that, like it's like. I've always said one of the reasons why they, the government has an entire division that handles only open source intelligence is because of how important it is and how, you know, people can hate me until the cows come home. They don't have to like me to read information that is fully sourced and backed up and they can look at themselves. You know what I'm saying? Oh, Absolutely. But they don't want to believe the fully sourced stuff because they have a predisposed dislike for you because of something else. People, um, people tend to attack the messenger 
as a means to discredit real good information. It happens. It happens a lot, actually. And then there's other people who put blind faith in messengers and almost get cult-like about it. It's weird. Yeah, they do. And it ruins the name of a great band, too. Which band? Blind Faith. Oh. I'll play some later for you, maybe on the way out. Okay. Well, what I wanted to do in the first half of the show today was go through at a very kind of high level so that we don't get too far into the weeds what I think is actually precipitating this Ukraine-Russia conflict. And I, I, okay. need, I need you, Mike, if you will, to be honest with me if you start glazing, your eyes start glazing over and you get bored. Okay? Okay, you need, so you need me to go, Boring. Yeah, or interrupt me and ask a question if you don't, if you if you need more clarification. Like you're gonna be the because no one's heard this before, so you're gonna be the person that is the first person to hear this. Oh, I'm the beta tester. Yeah. This, good, good, good guy. I like this. And you know, I have no need for your uh, permission to interrupt you. You this is true. should know that by now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. So to start with this whole thing, you have to go back to 2014. Believe it or not. You could go back further, but that's where we're starting. 2014, when the U.S. interfered to remove the Ukrainian president and install who they wanted. All right. There was a leaked call at the time between Gregory Pyatt and Victoria Nuland, who was the, you know, working for the State Department. We'll just say that so we don't get too nitty gritty. Mm-hmm. And that call, Newland basically said, all right, grab up these three candidates, talk to them. We don't want this one. We don't want that one. We want this one. Make sure they understand. Make sure you massage the process and get this whole thing done. So they basically installed the next leader of Ukraine in 2014. Okay. So in Ukraine is basically a hotbed of corruption. Um, George Soros, by the way, George Soros has the majority of his NGOs headquartered there. (laughs) So the open society is based in Ukraine? Pretty much, yes. Wow. Yeah. So there's eight or nine of them, I believe, that are are HQ'd there in Ukraine. And of course, there is cooperation from the U.S. government on this. Um, One example of that was we're going to skip forward two years. So they've got their installed government over there. They're doing whatever it is they want to do in Ukraine. Corruption up the wazoo. Um, They all of a sudden, Newland and the U.S. delegation declares that Ukraine needs to start cleaning up the corruption in their country. That for some odd reason. So so George Soros um, and an NGO that he spearheads called ANTAC, which stands for the Anti-Corruption Action Center, they're, they're over there. And when, when Newland give the, gives the directive and the president, Obama at the time, gives the directive to start cleaning house, they start investigating Soros and Antac. Hmm. Oh, wait, wait, wait. When you say they. The prosecutors in Ukraine. Okay, so it's not America investigating Soros and his operations in Ukraine. It's the Ukrainian prosecutor. Yes, and and while that Ukrainian prosecutor is investigating the Soros organization, he's also investigating. Wait, let me guess. Can I guess? Yes. Burisma? Correct. Woohoo! I got a point. Now, U.S. tax dollars were flowing to that Antec um, NGO, by the way. Wait a minute. So we were taking money that you and I sent to Washington 
like we're going to send next week. And we we were seeing that money going over to Antact, a Soros-run NGO. Correct. <laughs> yeah. So without getting into a ton of detail about what Antact does, it's supposed to be an anti-corruption NGO, which is actually a cover for corruption. Um, you know, just know that the entrenchment between the United States and Soros and other sort of um, shady non-governmental organizations that function as arms of intelligence arms of, of governments were futzing around in Ukraine. Now, what's so special about Ukraine? Well, they are one of the most resource-rich countries on the planet, uh, among other things. Um, the strategic location, the history there, like everybody, every it basically became the devil's playground, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. The United States would do things there that they could, couldn't do anywhere else and get away with because it basically didn't have a government. It had a proxy government appointed by bigger countries who wanted to use it as its playground. There we go. Wow. So, <laughs> so um, when you remember the name Maria, Maria Yovanovitch? I do. I do. Didn't she testify? Um did she testify in the impeachment? She did. And she was the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. Right. And um, she went over there, remember, with the do not prosecute list for Shokin, the, the prosecutor investigating Burisma. Right. She went over there and said, here's this list. Don't look into any of this. And it was like one of those things where it's like, here ye, here ye. And the scroll unfurls. And <laughs> these are all friends of ours that we would like you just to look past them. Yes, Correct. And this ANTAC um, organization was on that list, as was obviously Burisma and Hunter Biden's son. And I mean, Joe Biden's son and a bunch of other organizations. But I digress. We're skipping ahead a little bit. So 2016, there's a woman named Alexandra Chalupa. Do you recognize that name at all? I do. And now I want a Chalupa. I know. You say that all the time. So she headed up um, a little, you know, I guess you would call it segment of the DNC that handled, um, you know, I don't know how to explain it. It was just, it was just like she worked for the DNC, but she also is a Ukrainian, like she's a Ukrainian um, born, I guess you could say pro-Ukraine activist at the same time. So she's a Ukrainian national in this country, still pro-Ukrainian, but working for the DNC. Correct. All right. So she starts to realize that Donald Trump is gaining some steam in the election in 2015, 2016. And she goes over and deals with all her Ukraine folks at a high level in government there. I'm sure, even though I have not been able to prove yet with, you know, the the OK from the DNC and others in government. And this outsider, Donald Trump, is gaining steam. And they're like, oh, crap, if he wins, we're in trouble because what what do we have going on? Not only just in this country, but in Ukraine, this ridiculous hotbed of all of this nutso stuff that he says he wants to get rid of. So she starts digging up dirt on Paul Manafort, who was instrumental in appointing the president that Newland toppled. So Manafort, who has connections to Trump, also has been doing business in Ukraine, like many, many, many people on both sides of the aisle. Correct. Now, he he was basically instrumental in changing the messaging about the Party of Regions, which was the party that was in power before Newland and Pyatt came along and said, you know what, we're going to remove you guys and put these people in. It was the Ukrainian revolution, basically, where everything changed there. And 
you know, whatever. So he he was instrumental in doing that. But the problem is, and they, they say, oh, well, those are pro-Russia factions that were in power and they weren't, you know, Ukrainian nationalists and whatever. So, you know, powers that be didn't want Russian tentacles in Ukraine. They wanted to be able to continue to use it as the devil's playground. So Chalupa, very long story short, goes over there, digs up whatever, tells the Ukrainians in power, you need to start peppering things out in the media about how Manafort and Trump are connected to Russia, another angle of this story. And then she comes back and starts working with Michael Isikoff from, um, I think it was, where was he at that time? I think it was Washington Post. I'm not sure. But Michael Isikoff was one of the first reporters to do the whole Russiagate dossier stuff. So she's working with him. He's putting out stories to bolster her narrative. And that's how Ukraine starts getting welded into the Russiagate story via Paul Manafort. All right. I see the connections. The web is now uh, getting clearer. Yeah. So that is capitalized upon in, in several different ways. Um, you may recall that that CrowdStrike's founder, Dmitry Perovich, was from Ukraine, even though they call him Russian-born now because they don't want anybody to know he's Ukrainian. And so there was some thought that it was actually Ukrainians who were responsible for whatever hack of the DNC happened and not um and not Russia, but they made it look like Russia. <laughs> okay. Okay, so I know we're getting a little bit complicated here, but I'm, I'm trying to just do my best to bring it all together. So throughout the whole, throughout the whole campaign and all this Russia stuff, the Ukraine Manafort um, Russia Trump thing is, is picking up steam and picking up steam. And when Trump comes into office... He has still some the people that were doing all this. Pyatt, um, Yovanovitch remains his amb- ambassador. And when Zelensky wins, <laughs> oh, and, and there's more people too. George Kent, you remember that name? I did. That is the first name I don't recognize. George Kent was one of the people that testified at impeachment as well. Um, but all these people were all involved in the 2016, 15, 14 stuff, including trying to frame President Trump for all of it. And now they're still in the administration when Trump takes the presidency. Mueller gets appointed. Mueller indicts Manafort on all of this Ukraine stuff. I'm really jumping facts here. There's so much more, but it would be hours and hours and hours. Um, but basically, Mueller starts blaming what they're doing in Ukraine on Manafort and he even goes so far as to indict this guy named Kilimnik. I always say it wrong. Konstantin Kalemnik. Uh, yeah, Kalemnik. He indicts him in relation to the Ukraine stuff as well. The problem is, Mike, that he's a State Department source of such a high level that he was treated differently than any other intelligence source the State Department had when it came to Ukraine business. So he was like their bag man over there. The State Department. Beautiful. So he's he's over there working for the State Department, doing whatever he's doing in Ukraine with with um, Payet, with Yovanovitch, which all, with all of them. And then once he's no longer useful because they need him to try to take uh, Manafort down, which if you read into the story, it was it was like he he was accused of of obstruction of justice 
because he supposedly told people to lie about a meeting that they had. So that's why they indicted Constantine. Hmm. So they're just tossing sources out by the wayside, flipping them, making them adversaries when they were, um, you know, basically friendlies, whatever. So the whole Mueller investigation, the Manafort thing, is all to try to cover the actual corruption that's going on in Ukraine by blaming someone, not even having anything to do with that, for it. Well, it's not just covering the corruption in Ukraine. It's covering the American-directed corruption Cor- in Ukraine. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. So that's that's a very broad overview of the Mueller in, you know, part of this. Now, in 2018, Zelensky wins. Now, he was a comedian who became famous for playing a character in a show who became the president of Ukraine because a video he made went viral. Yes, I remember this. Then he runs for the actual presidency and he wins with 70% of the vote. Well, it's not like he had done a series of movies with a monkey and then later ran to become the president. Became, oh, wait a minute. That was Reagan. Just hear me out here. I, I, I'm just trying to say I, anybody who says a comic can't have another part of their life and can't have a brain, I always fire back. I don't say that he can't have a brain. Okay. I say that the past two that we are talking about today, the past two elections were engineered wholly by the U.S. government. Well, probably, yeah. So now this guy comes in and topples the people that we had appointed two years previously with 70% of the vote. It's just weird to me. Well, eventually the people wake up, do they not? I mean, the pendulum does swing. And when it swings back, it usually swings back and hits pretty hard. Okay, so here's a, let's let's go with the theory, even though I have some doubts about it, that he was elected honestly to president of Ukraine. He's mm-hmm. an outsider. He's just like Donald Trump in many ways. He doesn't like the corruption, et cetera, so on and so forth. Um, right before right before this was all going on, obviously Biden's infamous um, pay for play is recorded when Shokin is is doing the investigation into Burisma and Biden says, if you don't fire this guy doing these investigations, then we're not going to give you your aid. And that's the whole Burisma scandal that we've all come to know and love. Right. Now, Burisma's over there, you know, God, it gets so in depth. I'm trying so hard. Um, so now Trump calls Zelensky and he basically says, hey, listen, there's a hotbed of crap going on over there. We know about it. This is where I want you to look because it seems to me that there's a problem with this company, Burisma. And it also seems to me that the the whole entire setup quote of me when I first started my presidency was spearheaded out of your country. And I'd really like it if you could take a look at that. And Zelensky says, sure, I think we can do that for you. That transcript of that call is taken and hidden in a vault completely separately from where most world leaders' transcripts go. Okay, yeah, I remember this. And then it, it had a, a rather creative recreation issued. Yes. So now 
people on the inside, like Alexander Vindman and all the other entrenched, bureaucratic, corrupt, nonsense losers that have been involved in this Ukraine corruption for years, hear this call and hear the president of the United States ask this relative newbie to start poking around at what's going on over there in Ukraine, and they freak out. And they have a whistleblower come forward to try and taint Donald Trump as withholding aid from Zelensky unless he does that. The problem is they can't get to the transcript of the call to alter it because Donald Trump's team has hit it. So what ends up happening is the Trump team releases the transcript of that call and basically makes these people look like morons but not before this cast of characters jumps on stage to try and impeach the president for poking around in Ukraine and uncovering all the stuff that's going on. So we have Yovanovitch, who was fired. And remember, oh, poor Yovanovitch, the woman ambassador who was fired because she, you know, wanted to do things differently and blah, blah, blah. That was all nonsense. She was part and parcel to all the corruption over there. Again, handing the do not prosecute list over to Shokin. Okay. Okay, so there was Yovanovitch, there was, um, what's her name, Uh, Fiona Hill came into this? Yes, she did, testified as well. She worked for the Atlantic Council, was very much involved in engineering this whole thing behind the scenes, but also worked with Christopher Steele. Ha, imagine that, and the Steele dossier. So there's a tie to the dossier through Ms. Hill. Yes. Yes, and Newland's husband is also on the Atlantic Council as well. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. It, they're just as thick as thieves. The, this entire thing is one club that all has different titles and different connections. It's like all of Hunter's uh, uh, companies. They, he had myriad companies that all come back to one idea, corruption. Yes. Yes. So... We've got this web of people all involved at at different levels and trying to keep the noses of people not in their club out of what's going on in Ukraine. And I mean desperate for it. Desperate enough that they put a president on an impeachment charge for nothing. For an invented, completely whole cloth invented nonsense story that was proven false from the beginning and paraded out, basically, they would offer evidence up that would cover up what they were actually doing. It was almost the supreme reflection trial where they were trying to paint a narrative in the public's mind about what was actually going on in Ukraine. And the exact opposite was true the entire time. So it was a big Ukraine cover-up, the impeachment hearing was. It was to get out in front of whatever could potentially come out about Ukraine because of the poking and prodding that people were doing and also try and take down the president at the same time. For well, and they were successful pretty much in both, except there were always the lingering questions where they're not about what the hell was going on in Ukraine. Yes. So out of this whole, this whole thing comes two characters called Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman. Do you remember them? Yes. Okay. Lev Parnas is a intermediary for Rudy Giuliani to talk to the Ukraine people over there um, about the truth of the matter, supposedly. And George Soros, one of his groups is watching Lev Parnas, okay, and realizes that he's getting close. 
So they start reporting certain campaign contributions that a company that he had had made to Republicans in the 2016 election. Mm-hmm. And then right in the midst of impeachment, Parnas is arrested with Fruman on campaign finance violations and, and basically Farrow violations because supposedly they laundered the money in from Ukraine to donate to Republican politicians during the 2016 election cycle. If only we had this kind of appetite for investigation into uh, campaign financing and funding when Hillary Clinton was running for president. If only we would have looked into the mountain of evidence about donations from people who had Chinatown addresses but had, had voted or donated to a campaign in their lives, and yet they donated... Tons and tons of money. If only we had looked into stuff like that. No, Igor Fruman and Lev Parnas take the fall on this and they flip. Well, at least Parnas did. Yeah. So he just, he struck a plea deal just recently in his case that has been going on for a couple of years now. Completely, life completely, I don't know. Parnas doesn't seem to be the most up and up character, to be honest. So I'm not defending him at all. Um, he leaked a phone call that he, or a meeting he had recorded with, um, he was at a dinner or a, a lunch meeting with a very small group of individuals and President Trump. And I don't know if you remember, towards the end of the impeachment, that call came out or that uh, meeting that he recorded came out, the recording of it, where he says that he, they need to fire um, Yovanovitch. Yeah, I do remember that. So he, that was Parnas that now, you know, being courted by the Dems and the left and the corrupt right to flip come in and testify against President Trump saying, yes, he asked me to tell them that they wouldn't give aid unless Zelensky did this investigation into Burisma and whatever, whatever. So they were basically using him as a tool at that point with the weight of the, the, the Justice Department on him saying, if you don't do what we say and flip and do this, 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 and this, then we're going to destroy your life. So Parnas was a very useful tool in that to again, cover up what they were doing in Ukraine. This whole thing from Spygate through impeachment was to cover up Ukraine corruption. And there's tons of details and a timeline and all kinds of other stuff that I have, but I'm skipping over it all because I'm just trying to get the bulk of the story out. I'm almost done. All right. So now, fast forward, Zelensky clams up. President Trump doesn't get reelected. Joe Biden does. The laptop comes out. You know, Hunter Biden's malfeasance is, is percolating. You know they have the grand jury going on there in Delaware, blah, 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 blah. And now Russia has decided they've had enough with this nonsense. They've had enough with it. And they're going to attack Ukraine. Well, when they do so, the first eight locations they decide to bomb just so happen to be what we've now come to learn, bioweapons facilities that the United States was running under the guise of cleaning up the bioweapons program that Russia had going on in Ukraine back in the day. But Newland, recently reappointed by the, by the Biden administration, of course, sits in front, same character from back in 2014 when she engineered the, the, the takeover of the Ukraine government, comes out and says, yes, we're very worried that the Russians will get their hands on the things that we're not researching there because they're not dangerous and we don't do any of that, right? So now we've got Ukraine bioweapons programs 
that Ukraine is supposedly running underneath the supervision of the United States government. We have Burisma and Hunter Biden's laptop. We have U.S. involvement with George Soros in Ukraine. And all of it, all of it threatened, threatening the Russians basically going in there saying, we're going to expose all this crap. And then the United States saying, um, no, you're not. We're going to get involved here and start a propaganda war that you're killing a bunch of Ukrainians and that this isn't really what it's all about because you're killing a bunch of Ukrainians. And we're going to stage photos of them dead on the street using the same man in 60 different pictures just because we want to um, make Americans ridiculously sympathetic to everything going on in Ukraine. And Zelensky's in the middle now starting to realize that he doesn't have any power whatsoever. He is a useful tool in a global, or used to be a useful tool, in a global power struggle with one side being everyone playing around in the devil's playground in Ukraine and then Russia sitting right next to it saying, well, we're not involved in in NATO or any of this. And you guys are basically raping the heck out of Ukraine for whatever your purposes are. And, and now... Um, Zelensky's looking around like, well, what about me and my country and my people who are getting the shaft yet again? Can I ask a question here? Sure. And you kind of went over it pretty quickly there at the end. Are you saying that we are faking photos of dead Ukrainians when we know there are mass graves and there are thousands of people dead? Yes, and I can prove it to you. Say, I'm, I'm not in on that because I've seen... I have a buddy who's got a friend who's a farmer in Ukraine who's been sending back pictures and videos of of the destruction from uh, bombs and rockets. Yeah, there's no doubt that stuff has happened. But yes, there are they are staging and faking photos in Ukraine, and I can prove so it to you. Are you saying are you saying there's no genocide? No, obviously, lots of people have died. No, I'm not saying that again. There has been a conflict in Ukraine. There's no doubt about it. Um, however, it is being propagandized for the for the benefit of uh, moral support for the governments involved to do whatever it is they're going to do and make Russia a boogeyman. Well, isn't that what governments do on both sides of this? Um, yes, I'm not saying Russia's innocent. I'm just explaining the United States position in all of this. So Zelensky comes trotting in before Congress begging for help, right? Who was the only president to send lethal aid to Ukraine? Donald J. Trump. There we go. Giving them things they could actually use to defend themselves against. Wait, have we not sent all kinds of stinger missiles and uh, ground radar and all kinds of weaponry? Now we have. But in the past, the aid that we have given Ukraine has not been aid that they could use. Another example. The 2016 Republican National Committee platform on Ukraine came up during the impeachment as well Mm -hmm. because there was a whole big um, they tried to use that as another sort of linchpin to say that Trump was a pro-Russia supporter when he in actuality is really the only one who has given Ukraine anything they could have used to defend themselves preemptively before conflict. Yeah, Obama Biden sent blankets and goggles. And laundered tens of millions of dollars through that country in one way, shape, or form, like through ANTAC, the um, Soros-run NGO. It's always amazing to me that the ones that they say, that the names of the companies are diametrically opposed to what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
at a very high level, you're seeing now how covering up, like if the American people were to learn and people around the world were to learn what Ukraine has gone through and the Ukrainian citizen has gone through and, you know, all of that over the past decade, if not more, what do you think would actually happen? It wouldn't be the way we see it today. And people would go down. You know, in a just society, there would be charges leveled and people will go to jail and face accountability for all of this corruption and disgusting crap that's going on at the at the at the detriment of the Ukrainian people who, are, who have been in the middle of this. Now, Zelensky realizes no, nothing he was really asking for. He was getting Mike. He was looking for us to come in there and defend an O'Fly zone. He was asked, he was begging us for all kinds of stuff. And Zelensky's tone has changed quite a bit. He started negotiating with Russia. You see that? Yeah, but the, uh, let's go back here. There was no way in hell we were going to defend or or um, prosecute a no-fly zone because uh, that would have been a violation and potentially triggered even a tactical nuke would have been a terrible, terrible result. Understood. From Zelensky's perspective, the United States comes in and says, we're going to help you. You know, we have a lot of uh, interest in your country and we're going to support you. And then he's like, well, this is what I need just from his perspective. And they're like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do this overtly. We'll launder this stuff through Turkey. We're not going to do this. Like, and he's like, well, what the hell? Do you have my back or not? From his perspective. So what does he do? He lets the Nazis from the... Yes. <laughs> the the uh, the Nazis. These are Ukrainian Nazis who dream of an all-white Europe and the death of all Jews. Dead serious. That's not hyperbole. No, that's the that is the the uh, pledge of the leader of this Ukrainian Nazi group. And they wear swastikas on their uniforms and everything. So the United States is basically providing weapons to the Nazis. Well, what percentage of the military, Ukrainian military, is is this? Uh, what's their their name of the group? Is the Az Azdar group or something like that? It's something I don't even know. The names really get get me. But just the other day, uh, Zelensky was on with Brett Baer, and and he was asked about it. They cut it out of the interview when he responded, and he basically said, "Oh, they're going to do what they're going to do." Um, I, it is what it is. I think it was. Please don't quote me on this. Double check me. But I think it was something like 10,000 soldiers or something like that. It was a, a large force. And I know the Greeks were very upset that these guys were involved in the Ukrainian effort to defend themselves because you now have, as you've said, weaponized a group of really bad guys. Who and have been slaughtering, slaughtering Russians and Ukrainian Russians in that area for years, which is one of the things that Russia was complaining about the whole time. Children is, being slaughtered in the streets by these this guys. This like a neo-Nazi militia within Ukraine yes. that now has been uh, officially uh, endorsed by the Ukrainian president and armed by us. So long story short, the United States uh, corrupt establishment has a lot to hide in Ukraine that that that's the whole purpose of this is to hide what they've been doing there for years and years and years and years now. And I've given you some threads to pull on if you want to and see what happens when an outsider comes in threatening to upset the apple cart and what they what lengths they will go to to stop that from happening to the point of now large scale war over there. See, I think this whole thing warrants a gigantic infographic 
Yeah, it could. Uh, along the lines of the Epoch Times would do back in the day. Yeah, and like it the would Spygate take, one. Yeah, it would almost take up the entire wall. Yep. And if you just put, you know, all of this together in an infographic and people could travel down and there are so many lines connecting so many different bad people. But it, it's um, are, are you going to do this on Uncovered DC that way or some way? You know, I I've been struggling with this for a long time now because to write this down with the sourcing and everything I start, it's, it's just it's too word. People are going to glaze over on it. They're not going to read through it. I don't have an artist or somebody to do an infographic because that would be the best way to do it. Like, I don't have the Epoch Times staff, so I couldn't put that together myself. I don't know. I think this, if, if people respond well to this, I will do a series of podcasts separately that go into each thing in detail and make it a video series. I, I like that. And I understand because you, you haven't been able to clone yourself yet. <laughs> no. Would- no. Sent you that book too. Duet yourself. It's <laughs> DIY cloning. No. <laughs> Did you think this was beneficial? Yes, it was very beneficial because there are a lot of these are floating in the ether, and to see the threads come together and all come together around um, the center, which is us yep. essentially, because now you have a French journalist who's out there saying America's in control of the war. Yep. And so uh, this. This all helps. It's very helpful. Very, very helpful. Well, good. I'm glad. I hope everybody got some benefit from the little storytelling time today. And now we can move on to uh, some some more lighthearted-ish stuff, Mike. Well, I don't know how lighthearted, but I have a couple of topics we need to address. Number one, I'm betting that uh, before we get together again on Friday, and hopefully Frank will be back, hope he's feeling better, um, that the... NYPD, the Joint Joint Terrorism Task Force, whomever, will capture the guy who shot up a a uh, train in Sunset Park, Brooklyn, yesterday. And especially after we started hearing some of the things that this guy has said, some of the just awful, awful things he said. He's obviously a racist and um, has said some pretty nasty things. But um, can I play something that might be a little objectionable? Yeah. Uh, it had, might have some language That's fine. that could bother people. Yep. This guy put out a video that uh, Mr. Andy No is posting a lot of this guy's videos on uh, the Twitters. So it's it's worthwhile. The, the shooter, whose name I don't want to glorify, but you can read it, uh, is talking about Ketenji Brown Jackson. Now, I'm not a fan of this this future justice of the Supreme Court. She doesn't seem to be an ignorant woman. She just has positions I disagree with. But this guy dislikes the first female black Supreme Court justice for a reason that alone should disqualify him from civil society. Here's the clip. I had no idea with that African name that she would be married to a white man. One of my subscribers brought that to my attention. Yeah, our black sister, Supreme Court justice, power to the people, is married to a fucking white man. I don't believe this shit. Oh, God. Wait a minute. This, this is the motherfucker right there. We there is a white man. Black sister. Kentonjate, what the fuck name? 
married to a white man. So that alone, and if you're offended by the language, um, apologies, but uh, uh, that alone disqualifies this guy and I believe qualifies whatever charges they put upon him as hate crimes. Well, yes, they, he can definitely be prosecuted under hate crime law. The problem is, Mike, I've seen this all over the place now, is that they 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 had to obviously release the fact that he's a black man that did this crime, committed this crime, or is alleged yeah. to have committed this crime. The Watching the media spin themselves into pretzels mm. to try and call him a dark-skinned man or a dark-skinned, like they can't say it. And then watching um, a good faction of extremist racist black people for lack of I mean you gotta be honest on Twitter trying to defend him and his position saying that they feel the same way that's not racism in this country anymore Mike well I don't know about you but in my book it is it's yeah. not racism if black people are saying this stuff this is called black nationalism Oh, oh, black nationalism. I forgot. I wonder if The View covered that today. I wonder if they uh, covered that today. Black nationalism. Black nationalism. So so somebody chimed in and said, well, I wonder how you feel about white nationalism. Hmm. It's very disturbing on several levels, not just as, as American citizens to see this happen. But I know Tracy, I know you know a little bit about Brooklyn. I spent some time in... It's several parts of Brooklyn. This is a sleepy little part. Not sleepy, but it's a it's a neighborhood. Yep. And the fact that somebody would go in there, and I believe it may also have a strong Asian population, and I wonder if this is a an example of black on Asian crime, which we've seen a spike. A lot of it. A lot yeah. of it. But the administrations uh, and the, the city administration, the state, and the federal have not been addressing that. So I wonder where this goes. But I bet. I'll bet we get a uh, an arrest before Friday. Well, I hope so, because he deserves to be rotting. Yes, he does. I mean, he does. it just so happens this is right on the heels of the ghost gun comments and the Greta Thornburg gun kid. And also the day that uh, the day that there's an arrest at the upper levels of New York state government. Yeah, the lieutenant governor of New York got caught in a campaign finance violation, uh, was indicted, and he resigned. And somebody asked uh, Governor Holcomb, as I like to call her, uh, about it during the press conference yesterday. <laughs> and she couldn't be any more in a hurry not to talk about it. it he, he didn't funny. disclose the subpoena that he had gotten to her, apparently, and thought that oh. the background check would, would pick it up. Oh, man. Oh, I, I love when the corruption hits home in New York, especially among unelected governors like yeah. Governor Holcomb. She's terrible. Uh, who, who she? I think she bought the Nancy Pelosi eyebrow kit. I don't know. <laughs> did you see her eyebrows? They all look the same. They all look the same. It's a little spooky to me. While we're on the spooky politicians, um, Ted Cruz recorded his verdict podcast at uh, Yale after Yale was like canceling uh, conservatives. And during the podcast, they had a Q&A session oh, afterwards. And uh, I have two clips from Ted, uh, both of them, uh, I think, very entertaining. Uh, he's, um, he's asking or he's being asked a question 
by one of the Yale students. And uh, Ted's co-host, I forgot his name now. Um, is it Michael Knowles? I think it is. Um, was there and they were, um, well, let's let the clip do the work. My name is Evan. Um, assuming that would end global hunger, would you fillet another man? <laughs> so Ted Cruz has just been asked if it would end world hunger, would he have a gay sex act or perform a gay sex act upon another man? <laughs> and, you know, these people are idiots. But uh, Mr. Cruz, who's relatively unflappable, had an interesting response, as did his podcast co-host. Dare, dare I ask him to repeat? Well, actually, so I, I do have an answer to this. All right. I, I actually think it is better that the Yaley answer this. <laughs> you know, there was a line in... There's a line in American Psycho about that Yale thing. I think that's what our questioner is alluding to. Uh, like, a, like a typical left-wing undergraduate, you are engaging in consequentialist ethics. You are attempting to justify flagrantly immoral behavior to achieve a good end. And, and I tell you, my friend, the ends do not justify the means. Absolutely. Absolutely not. So... Ted handed it off to his very capable co-host, but then after that response was given, he had one question to return to Evan, the uh, the so so clever Yaley. I, I am curious with that young fellow if it would solve world hunger, would you vote for Donald Trump? It's <laughs> <laughs> well done, that very was, well. That was good. Yeah, it was good, wasn't it? Yes. And then we uh, go over to Ben Shapiro, who I believe was holding forth at a North Carolina school when uh, after his speech, he held a Q&A. And this was um, this was the, the very, uh, very clever young man wanted to ask a question of Ben Shapiro. I'm a mathematician and a physicist here, a double major, and I also just won the most prestigious award in the country to pursue research at any institution I want, That's the National Science Foundation Graduate Research Fellowship. So this guy's all full of himself uh -huh. to be. And he happens to be an African-American man, and I think he also might want to tell you his pronouns and or his preferences, but let's get into his issue. So I think I'm pretty you know, qualified to say that most of what you're saying is based on like old data. Um, but my question to you... So the old data is that Ben Shapiro said that the whole transgender thing with gender dysphoria is actually, it's not correct, it's not proper, and so he's saying you're using old data. Uh, ben attempts to have a conversation with this guy. This guy doesn't want to have a conversation. I thought I like, realized that. Last month, but sure. Um, like, for example, gender identity disorder, that's the DSM-4, bro. We use the DSM-5 now for psychologists to be able to talk about- I literally about... cited the DSM-5 in the speech, and it's called gender dysphoria, which is I literally the that said... I used throughout the speech, not gender you identity disorder. You sound like disorder, a bozo, bro. And you get no DSM pussy, and you can't even make your wife wet, bro. Whoa! So yes, so he declared that uh, when, when Ben Shapiro said he had cited the data that this man was claiming he hadn't cited, he called him a bozo. Uh, accused him of not being able to get any kitty cats or get them damp. Or <laughs> I, I don't want to repeat what he said, <laughs> but but there there was more. There was an additional follow-up with this guy because 
the audience wasn't happy. They were kind of uh, you know grumbling and mumbling and boo boo. But there's more. It's it's too good. This kind of back and forth for me is too much fun. Uh, let me just say, the nice thing about having real question, several small children. The real so Ben Shapiro's trying to respond kindly and say the nice thing about having two small children is, and this guy just jumps on him. He doesn't want to hear it. We're using a Western like colonial you. idea of gender. Then why should it apply if we're using? Because because the gender binary is a Western colonial is a Western colonialist framework of gender. You're you right. Know? Men and women don't exist in any other culture. No 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 no. no. I'm, no. Think right. about Native American. Nailed it. Third gender people. I'm not saying that third gender people exist in Native American societies, Western African societies, like Southern Native American societies, like Mexico. So in other places that are not white dominated, and they like are the United incorrect. States or Europe. And so this guy's rambling on about third gender societies, and I wonder if he's one of those people who believes there are as many genders as you want. They're they're changing. Uh, bride and groom now to gride and broom. <laughs> These people are challenged. I, I think that's the only thing we're allowed to say, but there's more. You have to hear oh, more. Please go. Okay. So you're saying, saying white, so non-white people, I'm a mathematician and a physicist. Uh, you cannot so tell what me. The, so I have a question. And also you're not a biologist. So I have a question. I'm 20 As a mathematician a, and a physicist, what in the hell do you know about human biology? And you got your law degree from Harvard. What do you know about biology? You got your law degree from Harvard. And frankly, and frankly, I would ask another question. If your logic is so flawed as a mathematician and a physicist, I would suggest that whichever institution gave you an award, re revoke it immediately. He's just, he's very good. He's very quick. I know he's not necessarily your cup of tea, but I thought that was epic. Yeah. I mean, he has some of those great clips that come out of those things. Really? The, the interesting thing here is um, these these kind of moments highlight that I need to learn that kind of patience because I, I would just be screaming at this idiot because he is such an idiot. He he is. And, and you know, the, the pronoun that really gets me, Mike, of how these people are starting to it's the clown one. And there's so many, so many people that identify as clowns. And I think that that aptly fits his pronoun set. But it's truly an insult to all the great clowns of history. I know we say that every time I bring it up. I, I, I just just Google. I mean, Google it. I, I laugh at the, the one that they say they're don't they say they're unicorns? Yeah, there are those two and and all kinds of other things now like that that don't make any freaking bit of sense whatsoever. And, you know, the funniest thing is that if you ever um, hold on, let me I'm pausing it real quick. We'll end on this. Hold on one second. OK, so here's the gride and broom thing. Hi, let me have my talk. So you are someone you love is non-binary and getting married. And maybe you're asking yourself, like, what's a gender neutral version for bride or groom? There are a few different answers to this, and any time I talk about this, it, like, gets controversial. <laughs> For context, I'm a queer non-binary wedding photographer, so I spend a lot of time at weddings. The oldest and maybe she, most popular... It, it, it's a queer non-binary wedding photographer. Hmm. Queer non-binary wedding photographer. Is that a section in the yellow pages? What it I'm will be soon at if things continue. <laughs> Hold on. Their terms, gender neutral terms for bride and groom are gride and broom, just like mixing up the spelling of the two words. But the thing about that is that it often just like takes non-binary people and then like puts them into a new binary where broom is often used as like a masculine bride and gride is often used as like a feminine groom. And if those terms feel great to you, then like go for it. But other alternatives are 
nearlywed, newlyweds, spouse, and my personal favorite, marrier. So a bride and a groom and the person who are marrying you are all technically marriers, but marrier is like a general term. Uh, they can't even keep track of their own shit anymore. And then they're like, if you can't figure this out and show me respect, then you're a loser. I, 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 I want to pile on top of this. Then I want to close with something inspirational, if I may. All right. So Warner Brothers, you know, that's a big company and they make movies and stuff. Warner Brothers has caved to uh, the woke society, not the woke society, but the non-woke society of China. Warner Brothers is releasing a new film. It is the new Fantastic Beast film, which is, I guess, part of the, the Harry Potter thing. Okay. That, that it's an offshoot. I've never seen a Harry Potter movie. Uh, I'm, I'm okay with people liking it. But uh, they have this new franchise that came out of it, Fantastic Beasts. And in the Fantastic Beast movie, Fantastic Beasts 3, um, the Chinese don't like the fact that uh, Dumbledore, one of the characters, uh, expressed his love for another man. So Warner Brothers remove that dialogue from Fantastic Beasts in the Chinese version. So where basically in the left where they want to destroy society completely, leave it in, the Chinese who keep their people in communism, we're going to take it out. Wherever the money goes, that's where we go. Yeah, that's basically it. They're, they're bending to China's demand the Hollywood Reporter has this story. Said so there are just two lines of the characters' past romance that will no longer be shown in China. The lines include "I was in love with you," and "The summer Gellert and I fell in love." So Dumbledore's homosexuality will not be permitted to be spoken in China. In, in the Chinese version of Fantastic Beasts, uh, the secrets of Dumbledore. Well, uh, he's and, got a secret, all right, but no one in China will ever know it. Uh, it's just amazing to me that that this is allowed and this this kind of uh, hypocrisy, as it were, the hypocritical irony that these uh, Warner Brothers, you are the biggest losers. And uh, while we're in Hollywood, it was uh, on this date back in 1964. My favorite Easter film of all time won the Academy Award for Best Actor for Sidney Poitier. And I don't know if you've seen this film because it's black and white and people of your generation tend to shy away from black and white films. I have not. You have not seen Lilies of the Field? No. I know you don't have time. <laughs> but I wish you would. And I'll give you this. It's the very end moment. Uh, Sidney Poitier is a, is a traveling worker. He's a construction worker who ends up building a chapel for a bunch of German nuns in the middle of nowhere. And he didn't want to do it. And through it all, they came together and he taught them a little English as well as built them a chapel. But this one moment, it actually happened twice in the film, is worth the price of admission. Amen. 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 Amen.
it over. Amen. So you have to see this. It goes on for about two minutes. That's but it's joyful. It is. And it's the Baptist singing with the Catholics. And it's the whole lesson of Aww. Easter. On Christmas morning. If you're a fan of classic movies and Oscar-winning performances before the Oscars became a fashion show that just had all kinds of idiots in it, this Lilies of the Field, it's not long. I think it's probably an hour and a half, and it's just got a great message and a great story. I and always wonder. First black man to win a best uh, a best acting Oscar. I always wonder in these movies how these all these people all knew this song in the four part harmony, just sporadically. They had rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty. I liked it. It's a, it's a wonderful film, and I just uh, just uh, thank you for indulging me. Sure thing. Hey, Mike. Yes. You've been listening today to the Dark to Light podcast with Michael Pelka and Beans. You can hear us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 2.30 Eastern Time at TuneIn, Stitcher, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and RadioInfluence.com. We'll be back Friday, hopefully, with Franklin. Yes, we will. Sydney, take us home, buddy. Take us home. Amen. He's singing all the way. Baby